Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Yeah, and I'm excited for everyone who decided to have a Bible study with me today. And I hope all of you are just as excited to be doing this with me as well. Today's topic is one of my favorites, prayer. We are going to be going through the Bible and talking about prayer and what it means and showing what the Bible teaches us about prayer. So we hear a lot in church about prayer and how important it is, but what exactly is prayer? So today we're going to actually dive into that. And at its simplest form, prayer is a dialogue between us and God. It is our communication between a heavenly creator of all and mankind. So we're going to start in the Old Testament and look at some examples of this. And in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. He had a relationship with them. And that is our first example of what prayer really is in the Bible. Prayer is having a relationship and an open line of communication with God. So we've seen that that's the original setup, that God would come down and spend time with human beings. But we know as the Bible tells us that Adam fell and he ruined that open line of communication with God. And then, of course, we read about Noah, and Noah finds grace in God's eyes, and he also opens up that line of communication with God. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to read today about the call of Abraham. And Abraham, our father of faith, is going to show us a great example in the Old Testament of what prayer is like. The Old Testament is always done physically what we do spiritually in the New Testament. It is our type and shadow. So, of course, what happens physically in the Old Testament happens spiritually in the New Testament. So this is an example of how physically they prayed in the Old Testament. So let's start in verse number one. And the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So here we have God starting off with telling Abram about the commitment that God was going to make with him. He tells Abram about his covenant, and he tells Abram about his greatness. I'm going to bless you, you're going to be famous, and all of your family will be blessed with you. 
So we're going to continue in verse number four. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed towards the land of Canaan. When he arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. And there he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by the stages towards the Negev. So here we have a beautiful example of prayer by the father of our faith. And God shows up, God communicates with him, tells him his covenant, tells him how he's going to bless him, speaks all this truth to Abraham. And Abraham doesn't even open his mouth. He accepts what God gives him, and he builds an altar, and he worships God. And that is an amazing example of how our father of faith chose to spend time with God and just learn from God, grow have promises that he could base his future on and then just worship God for being the God of God and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's an amazing example for us and how we should have a prayer life with God. Our prayer shouldn't just consist of going to God with our problems and telling him what we want and what we need, but it should be based on having a line of communication with him. That's the most important part of prayer. It is way more important that I hear from God when I pray than it is that God hears from me. Now let's continue to Genesis 33 where we get another example by another pillar of our faith, Jacob. And this is the verses 24 through the end of the chapter where we're going to read about Jacob wrestling with God and how that can be an example of prayer today so this left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break when the man saw that he would not win the match he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket then the man said let me go for dawn is breaking but Jacob said I will not let you go unless you bless me what is your name the man asked and he replied Jacob Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Penel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Penel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. 
Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tender near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. So here's an example of prayer. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes prayer is like a wrestling match. We're trying to break through things in our life, and we need to have a connection of communication open with God. And this is a great example of that, where Jacob literally had to wrestle with God to get a blessing and a prophecy over his life. Because Jacob was always intended to be Israel. And if he wouldn't have spent that time with God, it wouldn't have changed who he was. But Jacob never walked away from that experience with God the same. And that's exactly how our prayer should be. When we enter into that realm of prayer with God, we should never walk away from it the same. And sometimes it's going to require us to wrestle all night long to get some of the blessings and the things that God has planned for our life. And of course, now in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we do that spiritually, not physically, but we wrestle in prayer. Now the next section that we're going to focus on is in Exodus chapter 3, and that is with Moses and his encounter with God at the burning bush. So starting in verse 1, One day Moses was tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. And of course, I always like to point out the fact here that this is a great example of grace. The bush was on fire in judgment, but it wasn't being consumed. This is why it fascinated Moses and he had to figure this out. How can something be in punishment yet survive? This was a concept that they hadn't seen yet. So when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look to God. Now that shows us how we should approach God with fear and reverence of the God of the universe. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. So here God's saying he hears our cries. Prayer is about God hearing our cries. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God in a, in a moment of pain. And that's exactly what God says here is that I heard their cries. So when we cry out to the Lord, we can be confident that he hears us. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hizzites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevitites, and Jebusites now live. Look. 
the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, What is his name? And then what shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, The I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel and tell them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. So this is a great example of opening up that line of communication with God. Moses saw the bush and he heard God's voice come out of the bush. And again, what he did physically, we do spiritually. Prayer is about hearing God's voice in our life. It's about being able to cry out to him, tell him what we think. Moses said here, God, I'm not able to go. He told God how he felt. Of course, it wasn't right. He should have trusted God because God knew he was ready. And God said, I will be with you. So through our dialogue with God, we can receive promises that we can hold on to when we need it in our times in our life. We can also cry out to God and he will rescue us when he hears us. And we can also hear from God what we need to do in our life, which is what he was telling Moses to go to Pharaoh. This was God's purpose for Moses' life. And he wouldn't have got that if he wouldn't have had the open line of communication with God. So let's go to the book of Daniel now, chapter 6. So in the beginning of this chapter, we read that the king divides up the nation into different providences and he puts leaders over them. And Daniel is doing so well that he puts him over all of the leaders. And of course, this makes some of them jealous. So they come up with a plan to get revenge against Daniel. And they realized that he was such a good man that the only way they could do that was to attack his religion. So they got the king to pass this law that nobody was allowed to pray except to the king. And that's where we pick it up in verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So here we have a situation where society tells them they're not allowed to pray, and they actually pass laws saying that they're not allowed to pray to God. But here we see a true man of God, not caving to the pressures of society, but standing up for what he believes in, because he knows how important communication with God is. 
So he refuses to bow down and he goes and he prays three times a day, just like he always does. And he gives thanks to God. That's powerful. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking God for help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign the law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians and cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of your captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting, and he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and he had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and their children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I declare that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That's how powerful prayer can be in the life of a believer. Not only will it get you out of a terrible position, but it will also allow the God of the universe to have a relationship with you. That's the most powerful thing about prayer. It gives us an opportunity to communicate with the God of the whole world. I also think this is a great 
example of how fasting and prayer is linked. Fasting is like giving a shot of steroids to your prayer life. When you decide to go without feeding your flesh and focus solely on the spiritual, it unlocks great, great things on earth. And we're going to read about that right now in Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerning events certain to happen in the future times of war and great hardship. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So he started off fasting here. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen cloth with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem, and his face flashed with like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me, my face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard a man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he had said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request had been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. But for twenty-one days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So here Daniel is fasting and praying for a breakthrough with God, and 21 days he fasts and prays. But on day one, his prayer was heard, and the angel was sent to give him the answer to his prayer but it was blocked for 21 days. That shows how important that we continue in our prayer. That doesn't mean God hasn't answered you because you haven't heard an answer yet. Your answer could be on the way, but you have to stay faithful in prayer and in fasting to, to receive that communication with God. So here Daniel shows us how fasting can also break through strongholds. Because of this prayer, the archangel Michael was sent to stop the spiritual warfare that was going on to prevent Daniel from getting the answers that he needed in his life. So it's important for us to pray and fast. Let's look at what Isaiah has to say about that in Isaiah 58. 
Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself in ashes. This is what you call fasting? Do you really think that this will please the Lord? I'm going to read verse 6 in the King James Version just because I like it better. Is not this the fast I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke. So that is what true fasting should be about. True fasting should be about breaking the bonds of wickedness. The things that we do in our life that we are not happy about. We can break those habits and we can change those through prayer and fasting. Another thing that praying and fasting is for is to allow the oppressed to go free. People who are under the oppression of the devil can be set free through prayer and fasting. We read about that in the New Testament. We're going to get to that in a little bit. And it's also to break every yoke. The yoke of burden, working all day long with nothing to show for it, can be broken through prayer and fasting if we're praying and fasting in the right way. And that's what this whole scripture was about. Not fasting in a way where we're just doing whatever we want anyways and just saying that we're we're praying and fasting. But fasting in a way that humbles us to a place where we realize how much we need God. And we rely on that relationship and that open communication with Him. Now, let's go to the book of Psalms, and then we're going to dive headfirst into the New Testament. But before we do, I want to read Psalms 86. This is a beautiful chapter that gives a really great example of prayer. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I am in trouble, and you will answer me. No pagan god is like you, O Lord. No one can do what you do. All the nations you have made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, 
that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart, so that I may honor you. With all my heart I will praise you. O Lord my God, I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. O God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Send me a sign of your favor. Then those who hate me will be put to shame. For you, O Lord, help and comfort me. What a beautiful example of prayer. And now we can move on to the New Testament. I have been waiting to get here because the New Testament gives us such great examples of prayer. And a lot of them are right from the mouth of Jesus himself. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. It's here where we find the Lord giving us instructions on how to pray, which is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. You can also find it in Luke chapter 11 as well, but we're going to read it today from the book of Matthew, starting in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, of course, we, can, we know that he's not talking about corporate prayer and church prayer, but he's talking about your personal prayer life with God. There are times where you should be alone in your prayer life with God, and that's the time when God rewards you for spending that time with him alone. So let's continue here in verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. So pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So he starts off with praise and worship, admiring who God is and worshiping him for being who he is. May your kingdom come soon and your will be done on earth. The second thing he focuses on is making sure that our prayers are ushering in God's will and his kingdom on earth. Give us this day our daily food we need. So here God teaches us that it's okay to ask God for the things that we need. It shouldn't be the first thing we do. We should admire him for who he is, worship him, and pray for his will to be done on earth. But then there is a time in prayer where we petition God for the things that we need in our own life, like our daily food. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So now the next thing that God teaches us is to pray for repentance and also pray that God will give us the ability to forgive other people when they've done wrong against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So the final thing that he teaches us here 
is to pray that we don't fall into temptation, but that God keeps us from sinning. And if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. For when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except for your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father, who sees everything, will reward you. And so here again, we see the link between fasting and praying. It's almost like God gave them instructions on prayer, and then he was like, by the way, if you want to make this prayer really powerful, then fast, go without eating, and pray and seek after God while denying your flesh, and it will break the strongholds, and it will allow you to achieve the level with God that you're trying to achieve through your communication. So by not feeding your flesh, you're feeding your spirit. Now let's flip over to chapter 7, the next chapter over, verse 7 as well. We're going to hear some more instructions from God wrapped in flesh on how we should pray. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So we hear people say, well, how come prayers don't get answered? Well, here we're told that we should continue to pray until they do get answered. Daniel prayed for 21 days. If he'd have stopped at 14, he could have stopped all of the progress that was going on in the spiritual realm. But because Daniel pushed through in his prayer, his prayer was answered. And that's how we are to live today as well. Sometimes it takes a lot of praying and fasting to get certain things done. Jesus is going to confirm that here in a couple minutes. But let's continue. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So he's teaching us about effective prayer, and he shows us how to continue to pray and continue to seek after God. And don't be discouraged, because God is our heavenly Father, and he wants to bless us. But he wants to see that we have faith and we continue to rely on him and we continue to pray and seek him for the things that we need in life. Now let's stay in the book of Matthew, but let's flip forward to chapter 21, starting at verse 18. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but when there were only leaves, then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree weather so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to the mountain, 
may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. So, we have a promise right here in the Bible that we can stand on, and we can stay firm on. And when we pray and we believe, the Bible says God will do it. It doesn't say when, but it says he will. And it takes us to work that faith and exercise that faith, quote scriptures like this, and help our faith grow so that we can pray for God's kingdom to be done on earth and see it happen. Now let's flip forward a little bit more to chapter 26. We're going to start in verse number 40. And he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So here Jesus makes a very big statement. We all know that our flesh is weak and we fall into temptation. And some churches even teach you that that's normal and we should be doing that every day. But here God says to pray to keep those things from happening. Now, unless somebody wants to argue with Jesus, that's not my job. I tend to just believe what he says and follow it. And this is clearly him saying that if you're struggling with things in your life and you're having a problem that you can't get away from certain temptations in your life, that prayer is the answer. And if you want to give it a boost, then put it with some faith. And if that doesn't work, then start fasting. Because that is going to be the answer to whatever temptations or whatever trouble that comes our way in life. And again, Luke 22 and verse 40 confirms that, where he says, Jesus told them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So let's pray when we feel like we're about to fall into temptation in our lives. Even if it seems like it's a lot. (laughs) Let's take a look at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow in the city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Wow, I hope I'm one of those. And I'm going to encourage you today. We're going to continue to build our faith because Roman tells us in chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more we put this word of God inside of us, the more we're hearing about how we should pray and the way we should pray, the more our faith is built up inside of us. So that when Christ does come back, 
there will be people still on earth who are full of faith and still pray and have an open line of communication with God. All right, now that we've read a lot on what Jesus teaches about prayer, let's see a beautiful demonstration of Jesus in prayer. Let's go to John chapter 17, where we get to see an example of Jesus praying to God out loud for us. Of course, he is God, but he did this as an example to show us how he communicated with God and how we're supposed to communicate with him. So let's start in verse number one. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. So again, he starts off with our father who art in heaven. And he talks about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you have given me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you have given me from the world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I come from you. And they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. Now I am departing from this world, and they are staying in this world. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things when I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. I'm not asking for you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, 
and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you have given me because you love me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So here, Jesus is referencing the Holy Spirit that he was going to send, that we can be comforted by having Jesus Christ live inside of us so that we always have that open chain of communication. That's powerful. So let's take a look at that. Let's flip back to John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse number 6. Then Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you only really knew me, you would know who the Father is. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. In Hebrew thought, the name is mysteriously linked with a person's character and prerogatives. Thus, prayer in Jesus' name is prayer that is seeking his will and submissive to his authority. So by praying in the name of Jesus and asking for things in Jesus' name, we're provoking both God's will and his authority. Now let's continue in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him, because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. No, I am not abandoning you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. 
Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home in each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. But I am telling you this from the Father who sent me. And I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to be with the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. It's pretty hard to be filled with the Holy Ghost and not believe. (laughs) So God was telling them about the Holy Spirit that was to come. And he was telling us that this was a promise and that it would be in us and it would help us again have this open line of communication with God that nobody would be able to stop again. So let's flip to the book of Acts and see how that all takes place. And we're going to start reading in chapter 1 verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostle further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's flip over to chapter 2. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then they looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues, or in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So we talked about how faith and fasting can boost the power of prayer but here God brings another element into prayer and it's fire power Holy Ghost brings fire power into our prayer 
It brings our prayer to another level when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and praying under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to one final verse to wrap all this up. And it is in Romans chapter 8. And believe me, I would love to read this entire chapter because Romans 8 is an amazing chapter. It really talks about our relationship with God and how we should live after understanding what Christ did for us at the cross. But we're going to pick it up for the sake of time in this Bible study at verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we are looking forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So here he's talking about praying in tongues and how important it is. As a believer filled with the Holy Ghost, there are times in our life we don't know what to pray for. And we don't even know what to say when bad things happen in our life. But we can rely on the Holy Spirit and allow ourselves to pray in the Holy Ghost. And God knows the Spirit and knows what we need. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. So that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean 
He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or desolate, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. So that ain't something to pray and thank God for. I don't know what is. (laughs) So now that we've talked about how important and how amazing prayer is, one of the most amazing things about prayer is when we pray and we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive them. And when we pray and accept Jesus into our hearts, he's able to save us and change our lives and make us a new creation in Him. So if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right now is a perfect opportunity using this method that we've been talking about called prayer. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's open up a communication link with the God of the universe today. And say this prayer with me if you haven't accepted Him because it could change your life today. Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you today, Lord, to come into my heart, Lord, and I will accept the blood of your Son on my life to wash away my sins, Lord, and to give me right standing with you today, Lord. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior, and I confess with my mouth that you are my God and my Lord, Jesus. I worship you, God. I thank you for everything that you've done for us today, God. I want to give you the praise for everything that you've given me in my life, God. And help me to use it, Lord, to reach more people for your kingdom, God. I love and worship you, and I thank you for this time in your presence, God. And I can't wait till the next time that I can communicate with you. I worship you and praise you and thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And thanks, everybody, for joining me today. I hope that this has opened up your mind to some other concepts about prayer. And hopefully we can grow together as we continue to study the Word of God. I love you all. And until next time, may God be with you.